Section 10 of Little St. Elizabeth and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynette Geisel. Little St. Elizabeth and Other Stories by Frances Hodgson Burnett. Behind the White Brick. It began with Aunt Hetty's being out of temper, which, it must be confessed, was nothing new. At its best, Aunt Hetty's temper was none of the most charming, and this morning it was at its worst. She had awakened to the consciousness of having a hard day's work before her, and she had awakened late, and so everything had gone wrong from the first. There was a sharp ring in her voice when she came to Jim's bedroom door and called out, Jemima, get up this minute. Jim knew what to expect when Aunt Hetty began a day by calling her Jemima. It was one of the poor child's grievances that she had been given such an ugly name. In all the books she had read, and she had read a great many, Jim never had met a heroine who was called Jemima. But it had been her mother's favorite sister's name, and so it had fallen to her lot. Her mother always called her Jem, or Mimey, which was much prettier, and even Aunt Hetty only reserved Jemima for unpleasant state occasions. It was a dreadful day to Jem. Her mother was not at home, and would not be until night. She had been called away unexpectedly, and had been obliged to leave Jem and the baby to Aunt Hetty's mercies. So Jem found herself busy enough. Scarcely had she finished doing one thing, when Aunt Hetty told her to begin another. She wiped dishes, and picked fruit, and attended to the baby, and when baby had gone to sleep, and everything else seemed disposed of, for a time at least, she was so tired that she was glad to sit down. And then she thought of the book she had been reading the night before, a certain delightful story-book, about a little girl whose name was Flora, and who was so happy and rich and pretty and good that Jim had likened her to the little princesses one reads about, to whose christening feast every fairy brings a gift. I shall have time to finish my chapter before dinner-time comes, said Jim, and she sat down snugly in one corner of the wide, old-fashioned fireplace. But she had not read more than two pages before something dreadful happened. Aunt Hetty came into the room in a great hurry, in such a hurry indeed that she caught her foot and the mat and fell, striking her elbow sharply against a chair, which so upset her temper that the moment she found herself on her feet she flew at Jim. What? she said, snatching the book from her. Reading again, when I'm running all over the house for you? And she flung the pretty little blue-covered volume into the fire. Jim sprang to rescue it with a cry, but it was impossible to reach it. It had fallen into the great hollow of red coal, and the blaze caught it at once. You are a wicked woman, cried Jim, in a dreadful passion to Aunt Hetty. You are a wicked woman. Then matters reached climax. Aunt Hetty boxed her ears, pushed her back on her little footstool, and walked out of the room. Jim hid her face in her arms, and cried as if her heart would break. She cried until her eyes were heavy, and she thought she would be obliged to go to sleep. But just as she was thinking of going to sleep, something fell down the chimney and made her look up. It was a piece of mortar, and it brought a good deal of soot with it. She bent forward and looked up to see where it had come from, 
the chimney was so very wide that this was easy enough she could see where the mortar had fallen from the side and left a white patch how white it looks against the black said jim it is like a white brick among the black ones what a queer place a chimney is i can see a bit of blue sky i think and then a funny thought came into her fanciful little head what a many things were burned in the big fireplace and vanished in smoke or tinder up the chimney where did everything go there was flora for instance flora who was represented on the frontiers piece with lovely soft flowing hair and a little fringe on her pretty round forehead crowned with a circlet of daisies and a laugh in her wide-awake round eyes where was she by this time certainly there was nothing left of her in the fire jim almost began to cry again at the thought it was too bad she said she was so pretty and funny and i did like her so i dare say it scarcely would be credited by unbelieving people when i tell you what happened next it was such a very singular thing indeed jim felt herself gradually lifting off her little footstool oh she said timidly i feel very light she did feel light indeed she felt so light that she was sure she was rising gently in the air oh she said again how how very light i feel oh dear i'm i'm going up the chimney it was rather strange that she had never thought of calling for help but she did not she was not easily frightened and now she was only wonderfully astonished as she remembered afterwards she shut her eyes tight and gave a little gasp i've heard aunt hetty talk about the draught drawing things up the chimney but i never knew it was as strong as this she said she went up 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 quietly and steadily and without any uncomfortable feeling at all and then all at once she stopped feeling that her feet rested against something solid she opened her eyes and looked about her and there she was standing right opposite the white brick her feet on a tiny ledge well she said this is funny but the next thing that happened was funnier still she found that without thinking what she was doing she was knocking on the white brick with her knuckles as if it was a door and she expected somebody to open it the next minute she heard footsteps and then a sound as if someone was drawing back a little bolt it is a door said jim and somebody is going to open it the white brick moved a little and some more mortar and soot fell and then the brick moved a little more and then it slid aside and left an open space it's a room cried jim there's a room behind it and so there was and before the open space stood a pretty little girl with long lovely hair and a fringe on her forehead jim clasped her hands in amazement it was flora herself as she looked in the picture and flora stood laughing and nodding come in she said i thought it was you but how can i come in through such a little place asked jim oh that is easy enough said flora here give me your hand jim did as she was told and found that it was easy enough in an instant she was passing through the opening the white brick had gone back to its place and she was standing by flora's side in a large room the nicest room she had ever seen 
It was big and lofty and light, and there were all kinds of delightful things in it books and flowers and playthings and pictures and in one corner a great cage full of lovebirds have i ever seen it before asked jim glancing slowly round yes said flora you saw it last night in your mind don't you remember it jim shook her head i feel as if i did but why said flora laughing it's my room the one you read about last night so it is said jim but how did i come here i can't tell you that i myself don't know but i am here and so rather mysteriously are a great many other things are they said jim very much interested what things burned things i was just wondering not only burned things said flora nodding just come with me and i'll show you something she led the way out of the room and down a little passage with several doors on each side of it, and she opened one door and showed Jim what was on the other side of it. That was a room, too, and this time it was funny as well as pretty. Both floor and walls were padded with rose color, and the floor was strewn with toys. There were big soft balls, rattles, horses, woolly dogs, and a doll or so. There was one low-cushioned chair and a low table you can come in said a shrill little voice behind the door only mind you don't tread on things what a funny little voice said jim but she had no sooner said it than she jumped back the owner of the voice who had just come forward was no other than baby why exclaimed jim beginning to feel frightened i left you fast asleep in your crib did you said baby somewhat scornfully that's just the way with you grown-up people you think you know everything and yet you haven't discretion enough to know when a pin is sticking into one you'd know soon enough if one was sticking into your own back but i'm not grown-up stammered jim and when you are at home you can neither walk nor talk you're not six months old well miss retorted baby whose wrongs seemed to have soured her disposition somewhat you have no need to throw that in my teeth you were not six months old either when you were my age jim could not help laughing you haven't got any teeth she said haven't i said baby and she displayed two beautiful rows with some haughtiness of manner when i am up here she said i am supplied with the modern conveniences and that's why i never complain do i ever cry when i'm asleep it's not falling asleep i object to it's falling awake wait a minute said jim are you asleep now i'm what you call asleep i can only come here when i'm what you call asleep asleep indeed it's no wonder we always cry when we have to fall away but we don't mean to be unkind to you protested jim meekly she could not help thinking baby was very severe don't mean said baby well why don't you think more then how would you like to have all the nice things snatched away from you and all the old rubbish packed off on you as if you hadn't any sense how would you like to have to sit and stare at things you wanted and not be able to reach them or if you did reach them have them fall out of your hand and roll away in the most unfeeling manner and then be scolded and called cross it's no wonder we are bald you'd be bald yourself 
It's trouble and worry that keep us bald until we can begin to take care of ourselves. I had more hair than this at first, but it fell off as well it might. No philosopher ever thought of that, I suppose. Well, said Jim in despair, I hope you enjoy yourself when you are here. Yes, I do, answered Baby. That's one comfort. There is nothing to knock my head against, and things have patent stoppers on them, so that they can't roll away, and everything is soft and easy to pick up. There was a slight pause after this, and Baby seemed to cool down. I suppose you would like me to show you round, she said. Not if you have any objection, replied Jim, who was rather subdued. I would as soon do it as not, said Baby. You are not as bad as some people, though you do get my clothes twisted when you hold me. Upon the whole, she seemed rather proud of her position. It was evident she quite regarded herself as hostess. She held her small bald head very high indeed as she trotted on before them. She stopped at the first door she came to and knocked three times. She was obliged to stand upon tiptoe to reach the knocker. He is sure to be at home at this time of the year, she remarked. This is the busy season. Who's he? inquired Jim. But Flora only laughed at Miss Baby's consequential air. S.C. to be sure, was the answer, said the young lady, pointing to the door plate, upon which Jim noticed for the first time S.C. in very large letters. The door opened, apparently without assistance, and they entered the apartment. "'Good gracious!' exclaimed Jim the next minute. "'Goodness gracious!' She might well be astonished. It was such a long room that she could not see to the end of it, and it was piled up from floor to ceiling with toys of every description, and there was such bustle and buzzing in it that it was quite confusing. The bustle and buzzing arose from a very curious cause, too. It was the bustle and buzzing of hundreds of tiny men and women who were working at little tables no higher than mushrooms. The pretty tiny women cutting out and sewing, the pretty tiny men sawing and hammering and all talking at once. The principal person in the place escaped Jim's notice at first, but it was not long before she saw him. A little old gentleman with a rosy face and sparkling eyes, sitting at a desk and writing in a book almost as big as herself. He was so busy that he was quite excited, and had been obliged to throw his white fur coat and cap aside, and he was at work in his red waistcoat. "'Look here, if you please,' piped Baby. "'I have brought someone to see you.' When he turned round, Jim recognized him at once. "'Ah!' he said. "'What? What? Who's this Tootsicombs?' Baby's manner became very acid indeed. "'I shouldn't have thought you would have said that, Mr. Claus,' she remarked. "'I can't help myself down below, but I generally have my rights respected up here. I should like to know what sane godfather or godmother would give one the name of Tootsicombs in one's baptism. They are bad enough, I must say, but I never heard of any of them calling a person Tootsicombs.' "'Come, come,' said S.C., chuckling comfortably and rubbing his hands. "'Don't be too dignified. It's a bad thing. And don't be too fond of flourishing your rights in people's faces. That's the worst of all, Miss Midget. Folks who make such a fuss about their rights turn them into wrongs sometimes.' Then he turned settling to Jim. 
You are the little girl from down below, he said. Yes, sir, answered Jem. I'm Jem, and this is my friend Flora, out of the blue book. I'm happy to make her acquaintance, said S.C., and I'm happy to make yours. You are a nice child, though a trifle peppery. I'm very glad to see you. I'm very glad indeed to see you, sir, said Jem. I wasn't quite sure. But there she stopped. Feeling that it would be scarcely polite to tell him that she had begun of late years to lose faith in him. But S.C. only chuckled more comfortably than ever and rubbed his hands again. Oh, he said, you know who I am then. Jim hesitated a moment, wondering whether it would not be taking a liberty to mention his name without putting Mr. before it. Then she remembered what Baby had called him. Baby called you Mr. Claus, sir, she replied, and I have seen pictures of you. To be sure, said S.C. S. Claus, Esquire of Chimneyland. How do you like me? Very much, answered Jim. Very much indeed, sir. Glad of it. Glad of it. But what was it you were going to say you were not quite sure of? Jim blushed a little. I was not quite sure that, that you were true, sir. At least I have not been quite sure since I have been older. S.C. rubbed the bald part of his head and gave a little sigh. I hope I have not hurt your feelings, sir, faltered Jim, who was a very kind-hearted little soul. Well, no, said S.C., not exactly. And it is not your fault either. It is natural, I suppose. At any rate, it is the way of the world. People lose their belief in a great many things as they grow older. But that does not make the things not true, thank goodness and their faith often comes back after a while. But bless me, he added briskly, I'm moralizing, and who thanks a man for doing that? Suppose black eyes are blue, sir, said a tiny voice close to them. Jim and Flora turned round and saw it was one of the small workers who was asking the question. Whom for? inquired S.C. Little girl in the red brick house at the corner, said the workwoman. Name of Bertie. Excuse me a moment, said S.C. to the children, and he turned to the big book and began to run his fingers down the pages in the business-like manner. Ah, here she is, he exclaimed at last. Blue eyes, if you please, Thistle, and golden hair, and let it be a big one. She takes good care of them. Yes, sir, said Thistle. I am personally acquainted with several dolls in her family. I go to parties at her doll's house sometimes when she is fast asleep at night, and they all speak very highly of her. She is most attentive to them when they are ill. In fact, her pet doll is a cripple with a stiff leg. She ran back to her work, and S.C. finished his sentence. Suppose I show you my establishment, he said. Come with me. It really would be quite impossible to describe the wonderful things he showed them. Jim's head was quite in a whirl before she had seen one half of them, and even Baby condescended to become excited. There must be a great many children in the world, Mr. Claus, ventured Jim. Yes, yes, millions of them, bless em, said S.C., growing rosier with delight at the very thought. We never run out of them. That's one comfort. There's a large and varied assortment always on hand, fresh ones every year, too, so that when one grows too old, there is a new one ready. I have a place like this on every twelfth chimney. Now it's boys, now it's girls, always one or t'other. And there's no end of playthings for them, too, I'm glad to say. For girls, the great thing seems to be dolls. Blitzen, what comfort they do take in dolls. But the boys are for horses and racket. 
They were standing near a table where a worker was just putting the finishing touch to the dress of a large wax doll, and just at that moment, to Jim's surprise, she set it on the floor upon its feet quite coolly. "'Thank you,' said the doll politely. Jim quite jumped. "'You can join the rest now and introduce yourself,' said the worker. The doll looked over her shoulder at her train. "'It hangs very nicely,' she said. "'I hope it's the latest fashion.' "'My never talked like that,' said Flora. "'My best one could only say, Mama, and it said it very badly, too.' "'She was foolish for saying it at all,' remarked the doll, hauntedly. "'We don't talk and walk before ordinary people. "'We keep our accomplishments for our own amusement "'and for the amusement of our friends. "'If you should chance to get up in the middle of the night some time, "'or should run to the room suddenly some day after you have left it, "'you might hear.' But what is the use in talking to humans? You know a great deal, considering you were only just finished, snapped Baby, who really was a tartar. I was finished, retorted the doll. I did not begin life as a baby, very scornfully. Pooh, said Baby, we improve as we get older. I hope so indeed, answered the doll. There is plenty of room for improvement, and she walked away in great state. Essie looked at Baby and then shook his head. I shall not have to take very much care of you, he said absent-mindedly. You are able to take pretty good care of yourself. I hope I am, said Baby, tossing her hair. S.C. gave his head another shake. Don't take too good care of yourself, he said. That's a bad thing, too. He showed them the rest of his wonders, and then went with them to the door to bid them good-bye. I am sure we are very much obliged to you, Mr. Claus, said Jim gratefully. I shall never again think you are not true, sir. Essie patted her shoulder quite affectionately. "'That's right,' he said. "'Believe in things just as long as you can, my dear. "'Good-bye until Christmas Eve. "'I shall see you then, if you don't see me.' He must have taken quite a fancy to Jem, for he stood looking at her, and seemed very reluctant to close the door, and even after he had closed it, and then had turned away, he opened it a little again to call to her. "'Believe in things as long as you can, my dear.' "'How kind he is!' exclaimed Jim, full of pleasures. Baby shrugged her shoulders. "'Well enough in his way,' she said, "'but rather inclined to prose and be old-fashioned.' Jim looked at her, feeling rather frightened, but she said nothing. Baby showed very little interest in the next room she took them to. "'I don't care about this place,' she said as she threw open the door. "'It has nothing but old things in it. "'It is the nobody-knows-where room.' She had scarcely finished speaking before Jim made a little spring and picked something up. "'Here's my old strawberry pincushion!' she cried out. And then with another jump and another dash at two or three other things, "'And here's my old fairy book! And here's my little locket I lost last summer! How did they come here?' "'They went nobody knows where,' said Baby. "'And this is it!' "'But cannot I have them again?' asked Jim. "'No,' answered Baby. Things that go to nobody knows where stay there. Oh, sighed Jim, I am so sorry. They are only old things, said Baby. But I like my old things, said Jim. I love them, and there is Mother's needle case. I wish I might take that. Her dead little sister gave it to her, and she was so sorry when she lost it. People ought to take better care of their things, remarked Baby. Jim would have liked to have stayed in this room and wander about among her old favorites for a long time, but Baby was in a hurry. 
better come away, she said. Suppose I was to have to fall awake and leave you. The next place they went into was the most wonderful of all. This is the wish room, said Baby. Your wishes come here, yours and mother's and Aunt Hetty's and father's and mine. When did you wish that? Each article was placed under a glass shade and labeled with the words and name of the wishers. Some of them were beautiful indeed, but the tall shade Baby nodded at when she asked her question was truly alarming and caused Jem a dreadful pang of remorse. Underneath it sat Aunt Hetty, with her mouth stitched up so that she could not speak a word, and beneath the stand was a label bearing these words in large black letters. I wish Aunt Hetty's mouth was sewn up. Jem. Oh, dear, cried Jem in great distress. How it must have hurt her! How unkind of me to say it! I wish I hadn't wished it! I wish it would come undone!" She had no sooner said it than her wish was gratified. The old label disappeared, and a new one showed itself, and there sat Aunt Hetty, looking herself again, and even smiling. Jim was grateful beyond measure, but Baby seemed to consider her weak-minded. It served her right, she said. But when after looking at the wishes at that end of the room, they went to the other end, her turn came. In one corner stood a shade with a baby under it, and the baby was Miss Baby herself, but looking as she rarely looked. In fact, it was the brightest, best-tempered baby one could imagine. I wish I had a better-tempered baby. Mother was written on the label. Baby became quite red in the face with anger and confusion. That wasn't here the last time I came, she said, and it is right down mean in mother. This was more than Jim could bear. It wasn't mean, she said. She couldn't help it. You know you are a cross baby. Everybody says so. Baby turned two shades redder. Mind your own business, she retorted. It was mean. And as to that silly little thing being better than I am, turning up her small nose, which was quite turned up enough by nature. I must say I don't see anything so very grand about her. So there. She scarcely condescended to speak to them while they remained in the wish-room, and when they left it and went to the last door in the passage, she quite scowled at it. I don't know whether I shall open it at all, she said. Why not? asked Flora. You might as well. It is the lost pen-room, she said. I hate pens. She threw the door open with a bang, and then stood and shook her little fist viciously. The room was full of pins, stacked solidly together. There were hundreds of them, thousands, millions, it seemed. I'm glad they are lost, she said. I wish there were more of them there. I didn't know there were so many pins in the world, said Jim. Pooh, said Baby. Those are only the lost ones that have belonged to our family. After this, they went back to Flora's room and sat down, while Flora told Jim the rest of her story. Oh, sighed Jim, when she came to the end, how delightful it is to be here! Can I never come again? In one way you can, said Flora. When you want to come, just sit down and be as quiet as possible, shut your eyes and think very hard about it. You can see everything you have seen today if you try. Then I shall be sure to try, Jim answered. She was going to ask some other question, but Baby stopped her. Oh! I'm falling awake, she whimpered, crossly rubbing her eyes. I'm falling awake again. 
And then suddenly a very strange feeling came over Jem. Flora and the pretty room seemed to fade away, and without being able to account for it at all, she found herself sitting on her little stool again, with a beautiful scarlet and gold book on her knee, and her mother standing by laughing at her amazed face. As to Miss Baby, she was crying as hard as she could in her crib. Mother! Jim cried out. Have you really come home so early as this? And, and, rubbing her eyes in great amazement, how did I come down? Don't I look as if I was real? said her mother, laughing and kissing her. And doesn't your present look real? I don't know how you came down, I'm sure. Where have you been? Jim shook her head very mysteriously. She saw that her mother fancied she had been asleep but she herself knew better. I know you won't believe it was true if I told you, she said. I have been behind the white brick. End of Behind the White Brick Recording by Lynette Geisel End of Little St. Elizabeth and Other Stories by Frances Hodgson Burnett